Welcome to a Longer Table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. Today, I have Kayla on the podcast. Kayla is a friend of mine who I met through Instagram. She got to come and stay with me and my family briefly when she was coming through Chicago for a conference. Kayla, I'm so excited to have you at our table today. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. How does it feel being on the other side? You're usually leading these conversations and you get to be uh, on the other end of it today. I know. I'm excited. It feels a little weird. This is a whole new thing. <laughs> well, it's gr- I'm so, so glad that you're here. I feel like you have so much wisdom and insight. I can't wait to talk about all these different things um, that you bring to the table. So let's dive right into what uh, your family looks like. Mm, yeah. So I have four kids. They came to us within five years of each other. So my youngest are four and my oldest is nine. And they came to us through um, birth and adoption. And the adoptions were both international and domestic special needs. So Wow. Yeah. You have such a beautiful family. I love following along and just seeing the way you like showcase their joy and just who they are, their low personalities, but also the way you honor their stories and the way you're Mm. so appropriate and respectful about it. I think you do such a great job of that. And I love learning from you. So I'd love to chat a little bit about your guys' decision to adopt. I believe you said it was a domestic infant adoption of a child with special needs. Was that something you felt called to do or how did that come about? You know, it just was something the more that we thought about it. At this point, we had two children and for us, infertility was not ever part of our story. And I know that is something that introduces a lot of people to adoption, uh, but that just in particular wasn't our journey. But we knew that we wanted to be open and available um, with what we had learned from our other children and some other special needs that we had learned. And we just thought, you know, we'll just be home study ready. So for those who aren't familiar with adoption, you get a home study from a social worker. It's quite a long process, making sure that, you know, you kind of know what you're doing, that you're safe, that you're equipped, that you have the knowledge in the home and the tools that you need um, just to be a parent, especially a parent um, from a, with a kid from a hard place. And we ended up being approved for different disabilities um, and special needs in our adoption. And we had two young children at home and we just thought, we'll just get ready. We don't know what this means. We're not signing on with an agency. We're just going to be available and have open hands and just see what happens. And I got connected with an organization called Special Angels Adoptions. And basically what they do, it's a nonprofit that connects homestead ready families with agencies, attorneys, um, social workers from across the country who have children that do not have um, a biological family that's able to parent for a variety of reasons and they're not having, um, they're not through traditional, you know, adoptions. It's not, they're not finding parents to place Mm -hmm. them with. Um, and we found out about our daughter Eliza that way. And she was, a few weeks old, still in the hospital. Um, and 
kind of heartbreaking. The family that um, was set to adopt her and had gone through kind of the traditional connecting with a um, mother who's pregnant. Um, they, when the baby was born, when Eliza was born, that was when she was diagnosed with Down syndrome and that's when they walked away. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's, I'm not shaming them for that. Um, I'm sh- maybe they just were not equipped and prepared, but we really felt like, you know, we'll have open hands with this. We talked to people we knew who have children with Down syndrome and um, researched and prayed and just said, well, we'll be we'll throw our names into the hat as somebody who would be interested um, and very honored and excited and humbled to get to be your parents. And then we did. And I was also um, pregnant at the time because we knew we wanted our kids to be somewhat close in age. So we have now currently two four-year-olds in our family who are very different and very sweet and keep things very interesting. (laughs) Yes. You have such a full house. My goodness. Four years old. Are they, and you're probably either in the thick of, or just out of potty training maybe. Yeah. So, so Eliza, um, with her special needs and she has a variety of needs and disabilities beyond down syndrome. Um, so she, for the foreseeable future will not be potty training. Uh, but our other, our other child is, is done. Thank goodness. So yeah. Oh my now goodness. we have lots of little character underwear around, you know? So yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness. Okay. So my mind goes to so many different places first. And this, I, I don't want this to be offensive in any way, but please do call me out if it is. Did you and your husband have like hard conversations about what it meant to parent a child with Down syndrome and what that meant for, for like the long haul in the sense of, I feel like for me and my husband, we've never had that conversation, but my mind immediately goes to with other kids, you know, you think like, okay, not that you're only parenting for 18 years, but you're very much thinking like, okay, like around 18, they're going to kind of move on and be adults Mm -hmm. and do their own thing. And when you have a child with special needs and, and again, every child is different and there's, this is a very complex conversation, right? But did you guys, were you united from the get-go on this decision or was that something that took a lot of prayer and consideration? I guess I'm just curious because I feel like that is a huge commitment knowing that this child, not only will their needs immediately and ongoing be uh, more strenuous and more um, dependent on you, but even for the long haul and like the latter future. Absolutely. And I think it's something you absolutely have to be 100% united in. And that doesn't mean you have a crystal ball and can see the future, but you have to know like we are in this, we are committed. um, You know, we are going to have Eliza in our lives forever. And we are her, you know, caregivers and parents. And this is part of our life and our commitment and our covenant with being her parents. And so, um, and, and honestly, when we adopted her, I was reading so much about like, these are things that people with Down syndrome can do. They, they can go to college, they have jobs, you know, we, in our local community, new adults with Down syndrome. And we had no idea that Eliza would have seizures and that her story would look um, like at the age of six months on kind of stopping 
her development cognitively and physically. Um, and we've been able to gain some of that back with lots of therapy and different medicines. But, um, you know, we are 100% changing diapers, feeding her by mouth, feeding her through a G-tube. Um, and that's not like, we don't get any gold stars for that. That's just being her parents, you know? Yeah. Um, but it is, I was talking to, you know, there's different like waivers that you can get to help with like respite care or to pay for different types of therapies that insurance might not cover, um, modifications to the home. And I was talking to this person and every meeting, you know, it's like three hours long and they have this list of what can she do? What can she do? What can she do? And he's like, so who else is taking care of her? And I was like, well, you know, just mom and dad (laughs) and, and, um, you know, and she'll need different, her needs will grow and change as she gets older. Um, we're working on a wheelchair right now and yeah, it's, it's a journey, but, um, you know, I'm a Christian, my husband's a pastor and we were just saying he's going through the fruits of the spirit right now as a sermon series. And we're like, who in our life do we see these fruits of the spirit? And it's Eliza, Mm. love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, just all of it. She just embodies this in a way that, um, is hard to put to words. So yes, it is exhausting. And there are moments where we need respite. We need a break. She needs break from us, you know, she, and she loves going to her different teachers and therapists. Um, but there is this beautiful, um, reality that comes from knowing Eliza and getting to be around her. And it's really beautiful. That's so beautiful. I love that so much. And I, I think I follow this or I've seen it. If I don't follow it, I've seen it on the internet. Uh, this account that's, um, there's nothing down about it. Yeah. And I believe that's another family that just, um, loves their child with down syndrome really well. And, I am curious, this is kind of a controversial thing and I'm hoping you already know about it when I bring it up, but there a few weeks ago, people were flooding my DMs, wanting to know my thoughts about a famous YouTuber who her and her husband um, had adopted internationally. I believe it was from China and they ended up uh, quote unquote rehoming their child after a few years because I think they what they said was his needs were, um, too great for them to handle. And I have Mm. seen a multitude of opinions about this and judgments and then people siding quote unquote with them. And I, my first response was I've never adopted, so I can't speak to that. I don't have the authority to speak on it. I'm a foster parent. I've never adopted at this point. Secondly, I have no experience with international adoption. And while my kids have their own special needs, it sounds like they're very different from this child. And so I just was sort of like, who am I to judge? I don't have really anything to say. However, I do want your opinion. If you know what I'm talking about at all, um, feel free to say, I don't want to talk about this, but I would love to hear from you because I had so many people asking me my opinion. And I'm like, again, I don't have the authority. You, I see having the authority to talk about this. What, What are your thoughts around that? And what feelings maybe came up for you when you first heard about it? Yeah. Well, I, 
I want to choose my words really carefully here, which I'm an eight in the Enneagram. You know, I have a lot of, a lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts. Um, and I think I'll just talk personally as myself. There are a lot of needs that I'm not just allies that has had in our home um, from for all my kids, biological, uh, through adoption. And when I committed to being their parents, personally, I committed to being their parent through the hard. And sometimes there is really a lot of hard and a lot of specialists and a lot of trauma and a lot of secondary trauma. And all of those things are, are what adoptive parents and specifically the adoptee holds. And if you are not educated, if you are going in with a savior mentality, it's not going to go well. And there are things in life and in parenting that's hard and there are layers of trauma. And, you know, I have known people in the adoption community and the safest place for their child to be was sometimes outside of the home. But for me, it makes me just heartbroken and sick, um, you know, to ever think of my child, you know, having to go through that additional trauma. Um, and yeah, the, your, your family should be the safest place you are. And, you know, another part of that is that we've shared somewhat publicly about our family, but there's a lot that we haven't shared and won't share because my children are human beings that have their own stories and it's not my job to share (laughs) their private personal details. And in fact, that would be inappropriate and it would be inappropriate for me to somehow build a platform and make lots and lots of money um, based on a on a narrative that's not even mine. And, you know, like, and I say that as somebody who has been kind of, you know, authentic, I would say, and, and what I've shared about my family, but that's only like 2%, you know? Absolutely. (laughs) And And so I don't like, I don't say any of that with like shame or condemnation. And I really pray for that child that the home that the child is placed in is safe. And, and maybe that home that he was in before wasn't safe, you know, for him. Um, and so I, yeah, I just say that, that every situation is so different. Um, but as somebody who has maybe experienced similar things, I can't fathom doing that. And I've read a lot of other adoptive parents who have had things happen in their home, where it wasn't safe for a child or parent or siblings to stay together. Um, But to me, that seems like an absolute last resort, I think. And I think they would say the same thing. So it's really complicated. Yeah. I appreciate just your response to that for so many reasons. And what comes up for me and what I'm hearing you say 
is back to the very beginning when you said, you know, education is so important in this and knowing yeah. what you're getting into. And I think that as it's been really beautiful that foster care and adoption are getting a lot more awareness because of social media, or at least largely in part to social media. However, that's why I I worry. I've had someone say to me, oh, you're so negative about foster care. And I was like, really? I don't feel like I am. But I think I've tried to be really honest about the hardships in it because I don't ever want to glorify it. Because if it just looks like this really fun mm-hmm. and beautiful, joyful thing, which it is all of those. Right. But if, it, but if it only looks like those, there's an and, right? It's beautiful, joyful, wonderful, and it's brutal and traumatic and awful a lot of the time. Um, so if we if we only paint one picture and we really glorify it, we're doing people who are prospective foster and adoptive parents a disservice because we're setting them up for failure almost. And I'm not saying that that's what happened in this particular case. I'm just really... I think when people see other people's lives on social media who have fostered or adopted or whatever, that should not be your reason for going and doing that thing yourself. If it is, that's, that's really problematic because again, like you said, even if you're following some of the most authentic people, you're only seeing about 2% of their reality. And even that 2% of their reality is still through a filter and it's still through mm-hmm. carefully curated wording. Um, so I, I agree with you. And, and that's, that's been the tension for me is always like, okay, I want to be real and share some of the hardships, but I also want to do it appropriately because I freaking love my kids. Right. So it's right. so hard, but it's like, yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's a tension that we live in and we, we know when we get into this that we're going to have to do it well. And I will say one other thought, and I'm curious on your thoughts on this too, but I had lived my life very publicly prior to us fostering. And so it wasn't like fostering was something that I was like, let me build a platform around this or, or, Oh, now I have these really cute kids. Let me start sharing our life. It was like, no, no, no. I've been sharing my life. And now that I have these cute kids, they're a part of it. However, I actually had to start shifting how I did it. So I think when it's the reverse, when people like completely are private and then because of their new children through whatever method they go super public, I think that's where there's a problem. It's like, yeah, we just have to be so cautious in the stories we're telling the way we're presenting things, because it's mostly not ours to share. And like you said, it's inappropriate. And I just don't want my kids to grow up and then look back, whether they're mine through adoption or they're just like mine for a season through foster care. I don't want them to like look back and see or read or hear and feel like, she exploited me or she told, you know, so I even, even our kids, yeah, they're, they're six and 10. And so they're not old enough to like, I'll say to them like, Hey, can I post this picture of you? Like, I'm still going to keep your face covered so that people can't identify who you are. But like, can I talk, can I say this? I'm really proud of you or whatever. And our kids will say yes. However, even with that, I've questioned like, is that appropriate? Because of course they're going to say yes to me. And they, they don't actually get what, what it's about. So I've even wrestled with that. Like, am I doing the right thing? And, you know, I'm sure I'm making mistakes. I've, I, I look back in the past in the beginning of our journey and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I made so many mistakes. And I know I'll look back on these years, like three years from now and say the same thing, but I think we need to be open to receiving feedback and open to hearing from people. Do you have people in your life who speak into that and, and all areas of your life? Like, do you and your husband as a pastor 
receive feedback frequently from trusted mentors. Oh yeah. All the time. And that's part of what it is to be human, right. And to be on a journey. Like I never want to be the same person that I was five years ago. And in five years, I don't want to be the person I am today. I want to constantly be learning and growing and I'm going to mess up and I'm going to learn. And we have to have a posture of humility and of saying, you know what? I didn't do that right. Then there's plenty of things in my parenting journey in general, in talking about adoption, things that I did not do correctly, things that I have learned from and have changed and have grown. And I think we have to be open and we have to, you know, be willing to course correct. And I think something that goes along with so many of these conversations is who am I centering in this and how do I share this part of my life and normalize, you know what I mean? Like so much of what I see you doing is normalizing like, Hey, I'm not an expert, but I am a foster mom and here's what I'm learning. And you're normalizing that experience. And how do we do that without then centering and making it, you know, all about me. And there is this tension. It's something I talk with, um, or my fellow upside down podcast hosts about frequently is how do we make these conversations and whatever, you know, circle we're talking about, how do we make these normal without centering? How do I do that without centering myself as a white woman? And, you know, all of the different privileges that I have, and there is no 100% right answer. And so I have to always be learning and listening to other people. Um, you know, adult adoptees, so important. Um, you know, for my kids that have disabilities, I need to be listening to other people that have disabilities. Um, and so whatever circle we're talking about, you know, like my black kids, I need to be learning and listening and taking correction from black people. <laughs> like, yeah. so what, whatever, whatever sphere we're talking about, I think that part of humility is so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree uh, with every word. I'm curious, Kayla, as we wrap up this conversation, I have a couple kind of rapid fire questions. The first one is how has your faith evolved in the years? Like who, just like you said before, you don't want to be the same person, you know, that you were five years ago today or five years from now, how has your faith specifically evolved and what do you attribute it to? Oh my goodness. How is this a rapid fire? I know, I know, I know. It's deep. It's deep. But oh, it's changed. It's changed and grown so much. I feel like God is constantly pursuing me and bringing me in. And the more diverse voices that I read and theologians, um, you know, my husband is a pastor. So there's so much that is set before me, and there's so much deconstruction and reconstruction that is constantly happening. And I feel like if we're not growing, in some ways we're dying. And it's so much, it's like we need to be continually unlearning and seeing why, why do I think that and interrogating that and being willing to change. And I, yeah, I just feel like so much goes back to humility and knowing that, that God is constantly pursuing me and pursuing everyone because God is a creator of all things and is making all things new. It's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Another, you, you see, you did it. You handled the rapid fire question (laughs) with so much poise. 
Another one is what would you say to someone who is interested in or maybe feeling called to or um, fill in the blank adoption? Um, maybe not necessarily of a child with special needs, but just in general, what advice would you say? Like, don't miss this. Mm, yeah, so that's such a good question. I feel like interrogate those feelings. Uh, a lot of times as Christians, we can say we're called to something without fully knowing what that means or what that entails. And so I think just really do your research read the books, watch the videos, talk to adult adoptees, talk to other people that have adopted and um, really dig in and learn because that is going to set you up for whatever comes next. And God is in that. God is in the education of this. God is will meet you there in that space. But we have to once again, have that humility and open hands and ready to learn before we just um, dive in without quite knowing what we're doing. And and part of it is, you know, we have to have faith, uh, but that faith element doesn't give us an excuse to to jump into something that we haven't prepared for. Amen. Yeah, that's really good. Really good wisdom. Okay. My last rapid fire question for you is what would you say to those of us who don't have children or people in our life even that have uh, severe disabilities? How can we be um, more understanding and compassionate and non-judgmental to people that have disabilities and to families like yours who maybe look a little different than ours? Like, what would you want us to know that you're like, what are you learning from your daughter that you just wish everyone else could learn too? But we, you know, we get to see it and hear it from you, but just, I'm curious what comes up for you. Yeah. Just as a mom who does not have disability, but is, you know, taking care of a child that does, I would say, I want you to know it's hard. This takes up so much physical, um, mental, spiritual, emotional energy. But I also really, really want you to know that my daughter is not a burden. She is this glimmering picture of, of Jesus Christ in my life. And I, I am so grateful and honored and privileged to get to have her in my life. And there's a lot of times that I want to shut out a lot of other things and just be with her. Um, And, you know, just because she might be nonverbal doesn't mean that she isn't processing and that she doesn't have things to say, you know, Mm. and she is just um, so amazing. So I think if you, you know, people, Um, or you see someone that maybe has different abilities than you that has disabilities, please know that they are human. They have thoughts and feelings and emotions. And just because they might not um, be able to communicate that the way that I can communicate that, you know, doesn't mean that they aren't feeling and experiencing and thinking different things and that we should never like talk over somebody. Uh, A lot of people talk about Eliza to me in front of Eliza like she's not even there Mm. and I'm like she can hear you (laughs) like she she doesn't you know like or some people because she's so tiny even though she's four treat her like a baby and I'm like 
she doesn't want to talk to you. Like, can you see these cues that she's giving you right now? Like, please give her space, respect her bubble, just like I would respect your bubble, you know? So, so much more to say, but I think it's just having um, empathy and compassion for our brothers and sisters around us who, yeah, yeah, have different needs. I love it. This is so, this is like, honestly giving me a lot to think about and just, um, I think will help me as I go out into the world and I interact with people who, uh, are different than me in some capacity. I think the things that I'm taking away from you are just your, um, your passion for humility and that, that being such a focal point of your faith. I love that. Um, I love when you said that your daughter who has these different abilities, that it's so hard, but that it's not a burden, that she's Mm. not a burden. I think that's really good. And just the encouragement to interrogate in all areas of our life, both with our faith, with our desires. I think that that's one of the best ways we can actually combat our natural like saviorist uh, uh, habits or um, just that that sin that exists within us. Um, so Mm -hmm. I just really appreciate that. And I love everything you stand for and all the things that you're sharing. And, um, even if we sat at a table and ended up figuring out like, Oh, we don't agree on certain things. Like, I just want you to know, like, I just admire you so much. I respect the work that you're doing and the way that you live, um, like Jesus and you don't just talk the talk, but you really live it out. And so thank you for, um, the way that you appropriately share that with the world, because it really, Really does make a difference in my life. And I can't wait for our audience to those of people that don't know you to follow you and to be able to continue learning from you. Oh, that's so kind and so generous <laughs> to say. Thank you. Thank you.